looks like he's got a song in his heart. Praise the Lord. It's good to have a song in your heart. All right. Father God of heaven, thank you so much for this wonderful morning. You've blessed us indeed. You've met with us, and we thank you for that, Lord. You don't have to do that, and uh, but you fulfill all your promises, and we thank you. Lord, we pray for Brother Glenn that you would come down and, and fill him and flow through him. We know that that's his heart's desire, and it's your desire. So we ask your anointing be upon him. You would just give him all the words uh, that you want him to speak. And Lord, of the hearers here, give us ears to hear what you would say to each one of us. Just bless our time and make us more like Christ. Father, we lift up this situation in, in Iraq where Dennis is and ask for an abundance of wisdom to come down upon the leaders there of what to do and how to deal with the situation. Lord, this young man that's been caught, I ask, Father God, we all ask, Lord, that you would save this young man. You would mm-hmm. convict him and bring him to repentance. Lord, we just love you and give you praise. Be with our brother here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. We greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here. The house is uh, not as well-filled as we're used to, but that's okay. The Bible says, and we're going to hang on to this verse, the Bible says, where two or three are gathered together, there I will be also. We're going to hang on to that promise. So I would like for you this morning to stand with me. And I chose a song, 824 in the black book. And we're going to sing. There's six verses of this song, but I strategically chosen verses 1, 3, and 4. Okay? Then I'm going to tell you why. Okay? Can we sing that song? Give to our God in mortal praise, mercy and truth are all His ways, wonders of thinking about, you know, I have this little pre-sermon talk, and a lot of times it revolves around some things that men have built that intrigue me, but this morning I decided to change gears a little bit, and let's look at some things that God made, 
And we'll see how that, compa that compares to what man has tried to do. And it pales in comparison, okay? So this morning, I chose a galaxy that's out there somewhere. And it's a long ways from this earth. And uh, we'll, we're going to take a look. So I just wrote to scribble down a few facts that this galaxy has. And how man has tried to count the stars in this galaxy is a little bit over the top in my mind. And uh, this galaxy is, the name of it is, uh, let's see if we can pronounce it here, Andromeda Galaxy. Here, I'll spell it, if that makes a difference to you, if we have some chalk. Um, we'll just start here. Andromeda. Um, <laughs> okay. So this galaxy has 50 billion stars, so it's a five with nine zeros, okay? So this, that's how many stars this galaxy, they claim, has 50 billion stars. Now, I don't know how they determine that. I think it's way over that. But, and it is also the nearest to the Milky Way, okay? Now, fasten your seatbelt. This galaxy is two and a half million light years away from the Earth. Can you imagine? So do your math. How long is a light year? Can anybody tell me? Nobody can tell me? Come on. What's that? A year? A year? Hello. The rate of light travels in a year. That's right. Okay. So now we've got to do a little math. How fast does light travel? That's right. So, in what? An hour? A minute? A year? Okay. So light travels at 186,000 miles per hour in one second. 1,001, 1,002. It traveled 800, excuse me, 186,000 miles in that amount of time. It will wrap around the earth in about seven, eight minutes. I mean, seven, eight times in a minute. So that tells you how far, and so we're talking two and a half, not light years, but two and a half million light years. We'd run out of numbers if we went around this room. We'd run out. So that's how big God is. And by the way, hang on, in four and a half billion years, it's going to collide, they say, with the Milky Way. Hello. Four and a half billion years. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think God is way bigger than that. And I don't think it's going to collide in four and a half billion, at least not in my lifetime. I'm not going to be here. So, God, the whole point is that God is so big, and this is who we are here to worship. You know, you understand what I'm trying to drive at? This is who we are. And some of these things that, we, that I have talked about in, in, in times past, what man has accomplished pales in comparison, Right? It pales in comparison with um, what God can do. And this is just one thing. Okay. One more thing. I got a letter, or a card, rather. And um, this man, he didn't know who we are. He called us Mennonites, and that's okay. And he, he also gave a $100 bill with this. He said, please accept this um, this, uh, 
I'm not sure how to pronounce this word. STI spend, I don't know how, as a monthly tithe for the Mennonite church, as my church has disbanded. Okay? Thank you for giving my life back to me in a gentle way you can shake the world. And it's uh, signed off as Levi. Um, this man, he works for us over here at the Halsey Press, and uh, he gave us a $100 bill. And uh, so anyway, it's just a nice little card. Mightier than the waves is his love for you. So the waves of life. Okay, so on my mind, has been on my mind for quite some time already, is um, some things that um, life sometimes is... Um, you know, you wonder sometimes what, what, why life, life, why, why it dishes out what it dishes out, and um, things that happen in life, and what is wrong. And um, I had a man tell me one time, not too long ago, he said, if you want to talk about uh, problems, you will tar- you will shut down a conversation. So if you want to talk about problems, you will shut down a uh, down a conversation. And uh, he quoted the man who said this as a quote. But if you want to t- get men, men to talk, people to talk, you talk about solutions. And p- people will open up to you. How do we fix the problem? The solution to the problem, right? And so this morning we're going to talk about a problem. Then we're going to talk about a solution. And uh, we're just going to touch on that is not my um, um, on a part of, on the topic today. But we're going to just talk about... Um, this issue that we all face this issue. There is no one in this room or no one that is sitting at a church pew, nobody in this world that is not affected by this issue. And this issue has been a problem since creation. And so this is nothing new to God. This is nothing new. He has all the answers. And um, I'm going to take my text out of Amos, Amos chapter 6. So you can turn there a while. And... Uh, here in Amos chapter 6, let's just take the time to read this. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about today is um, the complacency in the, in the church, complacency in our lives, and what this looks like to God, and how God dealt with it in Amos' day, and how, what happened to the people. <coughs> so let's just read this chapter. <clears throat> And it reads like this. Woe to them that are ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of, of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Pass ye by Calnea and see, and from hence go ye to Hamath the great. Then go down to Gath the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms or their border greater than your border? Ye that put a put a far away the evil day and cause the seat of violence to come near, that lay let lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant that chant to the sound of the, of the vow, and and invent to themselves instruments of music like David that drink wine and bulls, anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore now shall they go captive with with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. And the Lord God has sworn by himself, saith the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate their palaces. Therefore, I will deliver up the city with all that is therein. 
And it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. And a man's uncle shall take him up, and he that burneth him to bring out the bones out of the house, and shall say unto him, that is, it, that is by the sides of the house, is there yet any with thee? And he shall say, No. Then shall he say, Hold thy tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of the Lord. And behold, the Lord commandeth, and he will smite the great house with breeches, and the little house with clefts. Shall horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall, and the fruit of the righteousness into hemlock. Ye which rejoice in a thing of naught, which say, Have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? But behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, and saith the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hemoth unto the river of the wilderness. Okay, so here we find Amos is prophesying a judgment against the people because of their laxadaisical attitude. They are not excited about serving God. They want to serve God on their own turf. And it's many times in churches you see, why are these churches dead? Why isn't there no life, no vibrancy coming out of this church? We become satisfied because for who we are, and we, we're, we're these people, we're these Anabaptist people, and we pat ourselves on the back and say we're good enough. It is not good enough for God. God wants everything. He wants commitment. So in Amos' day, I just found this little article this out of a book that I had, and I'm just going to read down through this. And it says, Amos pronounced judgment from God on all surrounding nations. So there was judgment coming. Amos pronounced judgment upon the upon the house of Israel because of their their attitude. We're full, we're full, we're happy. We got lots of wealth. We have we have our own um, we have our own strength for our military. We're good enough. We don't need we you know we have our own um, religion off to the side. You know we're gonna we're gonna counterfeit this thing so it looks good. And uh, God is not pleased with all that. And uh, all the people will have to give an account for their sin. You and I will have to give an account someday. When those who reject God seem to prosper, don't envy their prosperity. You know, that happens many times. Even in Christian circles today, we see the world prosper. And you know what? We get envious of the, of the people who prosper around us. Even within ourselves, in the church today, we see... Brother so-and-so, they prosper. You know, there's something within mankind like, I want to be like that. You know, don't envy that. That's a gift that God has given to them. Don't try to mimic it. Just be what God wants you to be. If God promises them, you know what? Then they give an account to that. They have to, they have to deal with that. They have to decide where, what happens and how it happens. And, you know, I always say, you know, God has gifted people in our circles with wealth and you know what? They need to give an account to that. You know, it's it's we have to. You know, God give this gave this to me or them or whoever it is. It's not what you have done. People, the people in in Amos's day were optimistic. Business was booming. Does that sound like today? Business is booming. People were happy, except the poor and oppressed. And that's another thing that will happen many times. We will we will rise in the society, so to speak. Our riches will increase. And you know what? We forget the poor. 
And you know what this, you know, the poor, it gets forgotten. And you know, how many times have we went to a camp meeting, at least myself, and I see that graph on the wall that Gary Miller puts up there. You know, there's a day coming when I, I would like to go over to Idaho and I would like to just sit down and talk to him face to face. You know, I've already talked to him over here at, uh, at the camp open house and talked to him. But you know what? There's something about him. I would like to just sit down to him on a one-to-one and just, and, and just listen to him share his arm. I'm still plowing through this tech, tech book, um, uh, whatever, this big wave of technology that we're facing in today's society. You know, and uh, there's a lot that I, um, that message needs to be preached from the housetop. Okay. So the, now in Amos' day, um, the poor is oppressed. You know, let's not take credit for ourselves, for the blessings and benefits that you and I enjoy in life, what God has given to us. Let's not, you know, we have this self-sufficient attitude. I worked for it. I deserved it. I worked for it. It's all mine. I deserved it. That kind of an attitude. You know what? God gave it to you. If it wasn't for the health that God has given to you, it wouldn't be for the wisdom that God has given to you and the circumstances that God has given to you, you wouldn't have it. That's just the way it works. And you know, sometimes our self-sufficient attitude is our downfall. We become high in society. You know, why is it many times, and I've seen this in our own circles or in our own churches. You know, somebody comes swinging through the door and they got high fives high in society. They got lots of wealth. And you know, they sit here in the high place. You know, if somebody else walked in that that was down and out and didn't have the wherewithal, you know what? You sit right here. You know, we do that. And that is a shame. You know, what does God think of that kind of a mentality? And yet we do it. You know, we do it. I even do it in our, my own heart. Like, whoa, you know, this guy's got something. You know, why do we do those type of things? I'm just trying to be honest this morning. How I am, you know, I see somebody walk, you know, like, wow, this guy is, or what if Trump would walk through the door? We'd like, would we? We need to ask ourselves. You know, many times, wealthy, wealth brings power. You know, this is what happens in our churches today. And I'm not just talking about this church or the church across the road or the church down the street. I'm talking as a whole society, okay? In our churches today, as Anabaptist people, as you and I know it, okay? So let's keep that in the forefront. Why is it when people become wealthy, we attach wealth with power? Why? You know, you know there's, there's sometimes corruption that goes on in our society, in our churches today. And you know what? Well, we can't do nothing because the offering might go down. You know what? You think that God really cares? You know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And He can take care of the lack that, you know what? I put all this money in the offering pot and I, we, I pat myself on the back, you know, and I feel good about myself. You know, I did my duty. You know, God sees that. What does God say? You know, what about the lady with that had the two mites? You know, she, you know, Jesus saw that. And what did she say? She had more blessing upon those two little pennies or two little whatever she put in that in the offering basket than the rich hero that comes swinging through the door and puts the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands in that basket and feels good about himself. Now, I'm not trying to minimize, you know, it takes a lot of money to run these these um, these uh, deals like Cam. It takes a lot of finances to run that. I understand that. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying this attitude 
that comes along with, with, with too many times the wealthy. They become powerful, become prosperous. We become greedy, unjust. You know, in Amos' in Amos's day, there was greed, there was unjust, there was illegal affairs going on. Immoral slavery came as a result, a result of overtaxation, land grabbing. Does that sound like sometimes in our Anabaptist circle? I'm not talking just in this community. I'm talking in a, in a, in a whole large picture. Land grabbing, cruelty, indifference toward the poor. And you know what? Let's not forget the poor. God made the poor also. God did not, does not, he, he does not ignore the poor. You know, if we ignore the poor, we ignore the ones who God loves the poor, and we ignore what God loves and what Christ died for. Yeah. It takes as much blood to save the rich as it does the poor. Let's not, and just remember, you know, sometimes we get high in society, we get high and mighty in our own selves because of what we accomplished in life and what's in our banking account. Well, guess what? God can just make one little small move and it's gone. And I can point you to people that this has actually happened to. There was people that had lots and lots of money. And with one swoop, it's gone. Lots of farms. Why? But you know what? I don't know what all the reasons were, but it actually happened. Many people in Amos' day abandoned their real faith in God. And they still pretended to be religious. Does that sound like today in our society? Today, you know what? We forget our real faith in who God is, but you know what? We've become religious. You know, God sees through all that. God sees that, that facade. You know what happens when, when all that comes off? You know, God sees religion. And religion to Him, is, is it don't work. Let's not settle for impressing others with external rituals when God wants a heartfelt obedience and commitment. But these are the types of things that were happening in Amos' day. And you know, these same things are happening in the church today. The same, excuse me, the same thing. Okay. On Amos' day, what about our day? Let's continue down here. I read verse 14, uh, chapter 6. The word woe is a word of lament. Woe unto you. And at ease means to be complacent. They had a false sense of security. You know, when we become complacent, we have this false sense of security that we surround ourselves, we build around ourselves, and it gives us a, a false sense of security. You know, we have our nice houses, we have this and we have that. You know, am I secure and all that? You know, I live in a country where, you know, the U.S. is the most powerful country in the world, so to speak. Does that give me a sense of security that, you know, I'm not living in, in Iran or in Syria or in Yemen or some other country where, where um, you know, people, um, I don't have to worry about, you know, somebody coming through the door, the authorities, and hauling us off to jail. You know, there's a lot of things I don't have, but you know what, that may change. That may change. And I'm just here to tell you, young people, even myself, it may even happen in our day. Depending on what happens with the way the, 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 the governments are going and what I see on the horizon, I'm telling you, the picture does not look very sunny. Samaria. If you look and do a little study in this, this, um, 
They said, and in, in the second sentence here, in the first verse says, they trusted in the mountain of Samaria, you know, their military force. You know, I hear people talk about the U.S. military. I don't know much about the U.S. military, but I hear people in the world talk about the U.S. military and how much power and horsepower it has and what they can do and what they can't do, but mostly what they can do. I mean, they can, they can stave off all these, these, um, these outer forces. You know, they have these high-powered jets and they got the, all this stuff, but you know what? There is a prophecy out there that someday America is going to come down. You know, what about our banking system? You know, people put stock in our banking system. You know, you know, if you go to a bank, you're, you're um, secured up to X amount of dollars. You know, I'm like, and what good is that? When the whole thing collapses, it's not going to be there. You know, that's what happened in the dirty 30s, so to speak. They call it the dirty 30s. When the whole economical thing just crashed, it happens in other countries. And, you know, there's people that said, look at Venezuela, the, you know, and you look at it today. It is a chaotic mess. You know, the, the, why is there? Why are the people of Venezuela trying to move out? You know, and they have wealth untold, gone, gone. And the same thing could happen here. They trusted in the mountain of Samaria. Amos preached in a time which was very similar to ours in many ways. The people of Israel thought that they were the greatest nation of Israel, greatest nation on earth, and they were, to, to, to a large degree. And it's the same for America today. And uh, they felt secure because of their temple and their fortress of Samaria. Today, you know, we feel secure because of 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 um, the authorities of the land and and so on and so forth. You know, the Bible talks about these people, these authorities of the land, the president, the policeman. You know, all these people, they're ordained of God. That is their job to do. And uh, I don't even know why I'm saying this, but I remember, I remember years ago, I was stopped for um, speeding up along Highway 34, and it caught me from an airplane. And this policeman, he pulled me over. I think he was just a young guy who was trying to um, wiggle his, make a rut for himself, wiggle himself in the system. And I, I remember after he issued me a ticket, it kind of made me mad because I didn't think I was speeding. And I asked him, I says, so I said, how do you know it was me? I asked him after he wrote me a ticket. I said, how? he said, well, he said, we caught you. Well, he told me he, they caught us from Aaron. And then I asked him, I said, how did you know it was me? I said, it wasn't somebody else. He said, well, do you think one policeman would lie to another one? And I said, well, absolutely. I said, they're just as crooked as this guy they're trying to catch. That's what I told him. I couldn't believe it. That was not good. That was not good. <laughs> And he said, well, I need to go. So I said, that's probably best. But, you know, that's not good. That's not good. But, um, you know, later I was feeling a little um, smitten by him. I didn't talk very nice to him. You know, I lost my witness to him. You know, he saw that, you know, my wife was with me. You know, you know, it's not a good testimony. What kind of testimony are you leaving? What kind of testimony am I leaving? Okay. They were living, they, 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 they were living to steal, murder, commit adultery, oppress the helpless, and follow other gods. You know, many times, you know, when we forget, we forget our real faith, we tend to follow other gods. And those gods could be, you put in there, 
They could be anything. America has many gods that we follow, mostly prosperity, money, um, those type of things. America also has sins that are, that are running rampant, like alcohol, tobacco, drug abuse is totally out of control. The drug abuse, it's just unbelievable. A couple weeks ago, we were asked to go sing down to Eugene Mission. John and Jane, he called me up and wondered if he, we would um, come down and help him sing at the Eugene Mission. So we did. And I remember when we were uh, part of the Brownsville Church, uh, we'd go down there, been asked, and it's been many, many years since we've been there. And I could not believe when I went down there, and so I had all these flashbacks of how it was when we used to go down there, and uh, I couldn't believe how Eugene just kind of shuts off in the evening. So this was an evening, but I could not believe it. the closer we got to the Eugene Mission, I mean, I saw people on the sidewalk. They were done for the day. They had a long day. They must have had a hard day. They were stretched out on the sidewalk. And one of my children said, what are they doing there? I said, hey, they had a hard day today. They're done for the day, and they're sleeping. I mean, that's where they were. I mean, the drug abuse. The the I just could not believe. Um, and, you know, we're spared from all that. All they have to do is obey God. All they have to do is read this book and walk with God, right? And it just saves us so much, so much um, trouble. As a whole, the people were, were concerned about their material possessions. Does that sound like America today? Does that sound like a church today? The money, the entertainment. And, you know, this book I'm reading talks a lot about the Internet entertainment, our phones, and all these types of things. And, you know, it talks about, and, and, you know, there's people that I talk to. Now, I'm, I'm taking a little bunny trail here. But since we're talking about entertainment, I'm just going to interject this. There's people that say, we got the simple fix. We'll just say no. So Brother Gary Miller, he talks about this in that book. You know, they, some of these churches that are doing that and just saying no, they, lock, they lock, put it down in lockdown, so to speak. Now we run into other problems. And, um, you know, that isn't the answer. The answer is, in my thought process, it needs to be a heart. It's a heart issue. You know, what is going to control it? Because once the technology thing goes away, which probably won't, but there will be something bigger on the horizon. And then the Christian has to deal with that. What are you going to do as young people sitting here? What are we going to do as parents sitting here with young children? How are we going to navigate the wagon through all these turbulent times? It has to be, are we as fathers asleep at the wheel? Are we complacent fathers that we're just letting go? And we have no clue what's going on. And Brother Gary Miller, he talks about those things. He is astounded at some of the things that is that our young people are into, and there's no connection with their children, with the youth, the pastors and the youth, the, the, the parents and the youth, and what they're, they're not even remotely connected. And I told my family, I said, you know what? There's going to be a law of the Medes and the Persians in this home. These phones are going to be, and you know, this went over like a lead balloon, but I really didn't care. I said, you know what? This whole issue of this cell phone, they're going to have to be all handed in by 9, 930. We have to implement it yet, but I gave them warning, okay? And warning again. And, you know, it is so easy to sit there. I know what it's like. You can go to bed and you can get on your phone. I'm just talking to young people here. You can go on your phone, even adults. We can go on our phone and we can mess around and we can Google things till there is no things to Google. And we're wasting time. 
I'm just saying. There has to be accountability somewhere. Entertainment. The pursuit of pleasure. You know, the world today, and this even rubs off on Christians today, the pursuit of pleasure. Now, is there anything wrong with spending time together? You know, do, take it, you know, enjoying um, nature or doing these types of things. There's nothing wrong with those types of things. But if the pursuit, the goal, the end goal is just, just, and it's just to pursue pleasure, you know, how many times, times you talk to business people or people at work and they'll go, oh, it's Friday. They can hardly wait. It's like, Friday? I wish it was Monday. And they probably wonder, what's wrong with me? And Or you go into a business place and talk to these people, and they'll tell you, well, Monday. Oh, it's just Monday. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You know. It's Monday. It's, it's, it's good to go. We're, let's go. You know. It's because... Their, their value system is all messed up. They don't have God. And, you know, we get all excited about everything except about God and His church. What excites you? And this morning, I was about that close to, um, to bring some brochures up and to read them to you. You know, would that excite you, young man? You know, if I would have brought a nice 9,000 series John Deere brochure up and read all the highlights up, would that have got you going? You know, does that excite you? It would me. But what is my value system? Woe to them that are ease in the church. The, ch- the charge is, is, is complacency. It's ta- is the ch- is, is, is taken out of Amos 6 here. The first four, six verses here. You know, they lie in beds of ivory, stretch themselves upon their couches. Oh, life's good. You know, we got the lambs out of the flock. We killed the fatted calf out of the midst of the saw. You know, we got everything we got. We don't have no needs. I feel good about myself. Complacency. It's so easy. You know, everything in life wants to go down. You know, there's a constant thing to turn back to revival. If there's anything we need in our church today, it is revival back to God, back to um, to the things that God has God has given us to. You know, it's amazing how I find, you know, many times we... Um, latch on to all these things that are really, you know, they're important, but they're not that important. The people of Israel had enjoyed a time of great prosperity, you know, like the church today. And, one, and you know, we can react in one or two ways. Number one, we can react in the, in the way of, you know, um, what most people are doing. You know, it has a lot to do with the pride and the boast of the pump and the power of what we have today. We could brag about that and we give no credit to God. Or we can humble ourselves and recognize, you know, God give, gave this to me. God, it's not mine. I am just a steward of what God gave to me. Let's keep that in the focus. These things that God has given to me, whether much or little, God has given them to me. And um, it's about Him. You know, how can I use these resources to God? You know, uh, last Sunday, we were up at the uh, Baptist, German Baptist Church, and, and, and Wyatt, he got talking to me after church, and he said, you know, he said, when we started business here, and I'm just amazed at his um, gift of, in the business world, but he said, you know, he said, when I started here, I don't think he intended to, it went where it did. It's not what he said. 
But I don't think that was his intent. That it got to this big empire that it got to. But he said, I just want to use these resources that God has given to me as a ministry. Hire people and teach them about God. Minister to them. Use my financial resources to help people. And what more noble thing can you do? I'm just sitting there like, wow. You know. And so I invited him there this morning, but he texted me this morning. He says, you know, he's going over here to Halsey Mennonite. So I just texted him back. I said, you know what? Go over there. That's great. Go over there and be blessed and be a blessing to those people. And uh, so he's over there this morning. I asked him if he'd preach here this morning for us. He said, well, anyway, he sent me a text this morning, told him what they're going to do. Okay. Number two, their trust was in their military might. Verse one, he says they trust in the mountain of Samaria. They were trusting in their military might. What about, you know, we say well, we're non-resistant people. Okay, so what about, let's just change this just a little bit. But we trust in my ability. In my ability. Remember, God gave you the gift. You know, I remember talking to a young man one time, and he tried desperately to mimic the rich people, the people that really had their act together, and were really going somewhere in business. And I told him, I sat him down one day, and I told him, I said, look, I said, if you just allow God to be God in your life, and quit trying to mimic these people, because God gave them a gift, to be able to, to navigate in the business world that he may not have given to you. But you have other gifts that need to be expanded in your life. You know, allow God to work in your life and be the gifts that he has given to you. Allow them to be manifested in your life. You know, the gifts that God has given to you, he wants to use them. Those gifts belong back to him. And he's given you those gifts so that you can be a better vessel for him. And use these gifts for him to what? Expand the business world? The kingdom. His kingdom. God's kingdom. Right? Amen? <clears throat> they had no serious thoughts. It's in verse 3 it says like this. Ye, have, ye that put away the evil day. You know, they didn't want to think about the evil day. They didn't want to think about judgment. You know what I did one time? I told a man one time. I said, you know, there's a day coming here in the United States of America when this whole banking... I said, I am convinced this day's long. There is no way that we can continue on as we are without this, this, this ship sinking. And he, he did not like that thought process. I said, hey, I said, you try it yourself. You, I said, the only reason the United States government can continue on as they are, because number one, because of God's mercy on this country... And number two, they have deeper pockets than you and I. But I said, we cannot continue on the way we are with this, wa with this wagon, the wheels falling off. We can't do it. You know, the, the, the astronomical national debt and all these types of things. You know, we don't want to think about judgment. And another thing, there is no way that God is going to turn a blind eye to, to the way we have methodically killed Millions of babies. There's no way. We have to face reality that God's judgment is going to fall on this country sometime. When? I'm not sure. You know, we don't want to think about that. And that's exactly what we did. These, these, Israel, these people of Israel did. You know, you put far away the evil day. And cause the seed of violence to come near. We don't want to think about judgment. You know, after all, we're a Christian nation. Really. 
were far from a Christian nation. They made the pursuit of prosperity their primary ob- objective. You know what? If a, a man, by and large, if he put, and there is something within man that wants to excel. I know all about that. There is something within us men that we want to excel. And they made their pursuit of prosperity their primary objective. Verse 4. You just look at that. They lie upon beds of ivory. They stretch themselves upon their couches. I can just imagine. Oh, this is great. And they're thinking about the next business. Big, big business deal. You know, they feel good about themselves after this long, hard day. They're looking in their banking account. They're probably on their they're probably on their cell phones checking to see how much their banking account grew that day and how much their stock and bonds went up that day or lost. And uh, maybe they they stood up when they found out how much they lost. I don't know. Okay. So, and then here's another thing that that they did. They were not grieved or concerned at all about the condition of their nation. Are you and I concerned and grieved about what we see in our nation today? Does it grieve you the way this nation is going? It's going downhill at a fast rate of speed. The moral, um, the fabric of this nation is no longer. I mean, it's just amazing to me. Um, you know what? What was called what was called good? They call bad. What they call what is bad? What is sin? They call good. They got it all mixed up. They got there's just total confusion and chaos. And then we there's these these violence these violence movies that they put out there. And then we have these mass mass school shootings that on and on we could go. Well, it's no wonder we're teaching them. We're teaching this country. We're teaching them good. And then it gets acted out on the streets and we wring our hands and we wonder what the problem is. It's because we forgot God, the real faith that we need to have in God. We need, desperately need a revival. And you know, we may say, well, that's out there. But you know, the same is saying, do I have a passion for the things that God has a passion for? Do the things that excite me, do they, are they in line with what God likes? Are they in line with what God wants? Do they, do they line up with God, the things that excite me? They are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. You know, you remember that story about Joseph? You know, his brothers, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't um, grieving for him. They, they did not, you know, his affliction, they didn't care. Little or no, little or no compassion for the needy brothers in Christ. You know, how about when you pick up a, a flyer and there's, there's, there's these things that stick out to you. You see a child, maybe his, his, his belly is all bloated because he's starving. And maybe the skin is just hanging on to it. Maybe you'll see a picture of a blind lady or a blind man. And you know, how's his hand now? Is there anything within you that moves with compassion that you could somehow, you know, in Jesus' day, you know, if you could just reach out and pray for them and they would be healed. Is there something within you like which you could just change that circumstance for that person? The causes of complacency, I got a few minutes left, in the church. Being raised and live in the most affluent nation in the world, is it a blessing to you or is it a curse? Is it a blessing or is it a curse? We live extravagant lifestyles. Not all, but way too many. 
And then we wonder why there's no power in our lives. We wonder why there's no power in the church. We trust in our nation's ability, its might. It leads to no serious thoughts in our, in our relationship with God. You know, we think about all these things, and yet we have, it, it, it does not move us to think about our relationship with God. We pursue riches, a thing that, if, that we, we pursue it as if it will be here forever. We live like we'll be here forever. I'm not saying we have to live in a tent by the road. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, let's put all this in perspective. I'm not grieved over the nations of our, the sins of our nation or the state of the church or the ever, ever worsening condition of, of, of both, of the church and the, uh, the state of our country. You know, where, Je- where Jesus, he looked out across Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He was grieved by what he saw. <clears throat> we put our trust in our, we talk about this. We put our trust in our wealth, our possessions, and maybe even the strength of our, denomin- our church denomination. You know, I know there's people like that. They put their trust in their church denomination. You know what? I re- I remember as being a uh, a teenager, and I remember this one church, um, this one church fellowship, this one conference, and I had multiple grievances with them. <laughs> and I remember telling my parents as a young teenager, I said, "This will never work." And you know, they had I don't know how many thousand members, and they um, all these type of things. And I'm just like, this is not going to work. You know, some of the decisions that were being made, some of the things that they would do. And, you know, today it is struggling to keep its people. Why? Because we put power, we put, we put confidence in the system. God says, I want you to put confidence in me. Amen. The only one that's going to take you through, when, every, when the chips are all down, it's going to be me. The church system, there's nothing wrong with church. And that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying there needs to be a passion for God. The church did not die for you. The church was not hung on the cross. It was the, it was the Savior who was hung on the cross. It's His blood that's going to get you there. It's not your $100 bill. When I get to the bar, you know, I've heard people, I talk to people who, who were losing their way, and I enjoy talking to people on one-to-one, and, uh, and many times, you know, it, it may surround about um, things of, of eternal value. Many times, it ends up there. And I remember talking to this one young man, and there were things going on in his life, and he was making these excuses, at least I thought they were excuses. I said, hey. I said, just think about this for a little bit. All these things that you told me, why you're doing these things. I said, now, someday, I said, you know, in your heart of hearts, someday you will stand before an almighty king, a judge. That's going to judge. The Bible says the quick, he's going to judge the whole melange, everybody. Someday. And I said, and you're going to use those excuses. I said, the Bible says you will be without excuse. And how is that going to look in comparison to this King of Kings, the Almighty, 
God. How's that going to look? How is that going to stack up? I said, if I was you, I would reconsider. Those are very flimsy excuses to do what you want to do. Let's take, do I take serious my relationship with Christ and what he requires of us, of me? The curse of complacency leads to death of a nation. Verses 7 through 14. It eventually led them to captivity. It was death to the nation, so to speak. It causes people, it causes people to reject and fail to carry out their divine mission. God's got a divine mission for you. You know what? When we're complacent, we don't have this. We we don't have this um, this zeal to please God and to carry out the mission that He has put us on. We don't carry His divine mission out. You know what? Because we really don't care. We really don't care. At the end of the day, it denies them of the destiny of that great nation. It denied them of the destiny of that great nation. What Israel could have been. Talking about back in Amos's day. You know how about us? It also is going to deny us of this. Someday spending eternity with God the Father. Complacency leads to death. death. Turn to uh, Revelation 1. Or let's turn to Revelation here. And here you will find there's uh, in Revelation um, yeah, chapter 1 verse 20 it says, the mystery of the seven stars, this is Jesus talking, and it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand are the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And he starts with Ephesus here. And, the, and um, I'll just read a few verses here. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things he... These things saith he that beholdeth the seven stars in his right hand, walk, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst bear them up which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are prophets and are not, and thou hast found them liars. And you read on down through the verse. Never, in verse 4 it says, Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Did I lose my first love? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, repent and do, thy, do the first works, or else I will come quickly, I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of, thy, out of his place, except thou repents. You know, what the, is, is it my candlestick going to be removed? Is yours? What's going to happen? You know, and... In those seven churches, I think there was one. I didn't read on all seven of them, but I think there was one church that he was really, you know, he, he's basically, keep on going. Keep on going. Complacency in the church, it robs, it robs the church and God's people of their energy. Of the, of, of the energy of the consecrated service. You know, if we're complacent, we are not contributing. We are not bringing anything to the table. We are taking away. You know, something that's kind of, you know, it's interesting to me. You know, in, feed, in cattle feedlots, you know, why do they call them? Why do they, call, why do they sell off? Why do they call the, the, the cattle who aren't contributing? 
you know, they're they're taking from the feed trough, but they aren't. They'll never make it the weight that they're supposed to make. They just call them off. They get rid of them. Why? Because they're taking away. They're pouring money into them. They're pouring energy into them for something that they will never get back. So just get rid of them. You know that is that the way we are? As we're like a parasite to the church. If we're just as, you know, we don't care too much. You know, it's all good. We put on this this face of religion, and it's all good. You know what? God sees that. You know, eventually there's things that happen in our lives that reveal who we really are. And guess what? Maybe you're saying, well, that may never happen to me. I can, I can, I can paint this picture and go on with life. But guess what? You will never, you will never fool God. God sees right through the false front and the facade that we many times put paint on. It robs us of our joy here and of our rewards in the afterlife. Complacency on our part may prevent many people from knowing Christ because why? Because we did not have, we, we missed our divine mission Why we're here. And you know what? Maybe it's you that are the key to the person that needs to know Christ. But you know what? We're complacent. We don't really care. We have no sense of the lost around us. Also, why? Because we are not grieved about the rejection of Christ in our world. Christ was very grieved with the condition of humanity. Turn with me to Mark 16. Let's look at Mark, Matthew, Mark, Mark 16. In Mark 16, it um, this was um, right after. This is Mark's detailed message, detailed word of the resurrection. I think this is interesting, and. Um, it says that when Jesus, when Jesus of Nazareth was risen, he is not here. In verse six of sixteen, and then it says, and Jesus was risen early the first day of the week and appeared first unto Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven devils. Now I think that's interesting. You know, he first appeared to a lady, out of whom she was cast seven devils. Now that to me is very amazing. You know, it wasn't the perfect. The upright, oh, this guy was a real pillar in the church. It was a down-and-out lady, a lady that was loaded down with sin. And he appeared first unto her. Now, that's interesting to me. And then, the high and the mighty, the apostles, the people, the people that ran around with Jesus, so to speak, you know what, they didn't believe it. And here, this lady, this Mary Magdalene, had, had all these problems, and she's like, hey, he rose from the dead. And these... These other people, they did not believe him. And afterward, and it says, and after he appeared unto another form, unto two of them, and they walked and went into the country. And uh, verse 14, it said, after he appeared unto the eleven, he sat down to me and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And then he gives us our stock in order, so to speak. Then he gives us this message. He, um, he, Jesus, now this is all of a sudden, now Jesus is going to talk. You know, these guys are hard-hearted. They don't believe that, that I was risen from the dead. And then he says this, and he said unto them, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those are our orders. Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name. Now, here's where I start running aground. Okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. Here's why I start running aground. This is, these are the words of our Master, of our Savior. These are the way He told us to do. He says, go and preach to every nation or the gospel, to every creature. 
And then he says this. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak in new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Did you get that? They lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And you know, those are things that I have often longed for to see in the church of America today. Does it ever happen? I don't know. Not very often. Does it happen in other parts of the world? Yes, it happens. And, um, you know, it's easy for me to read those stories and, God, why don't it happen here? Is it because of my complacent heart? Is it because of what does God say as he looks down? What does Jesus say as he looks down in the church of America today? And what did, is he, does he, I could just visualize him many times with his hands outstretched. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Is that what he's saying? Or, did he, or is he looking down and he said, those are my people. Those are called by my name. The cure, let's talk about, that's not my subject, but let's just, let's talk about, a little bit about the cure. My time's out. The cure is to understand the love and the mercy of God is a cure to complacency. To understand the love and the mercy of God. Because God loved us so much. What does the Bible say? That he sent his only son to die for us. He delights to show mercy to the repentant. We know what that's all about. We that are saved. His love and mercy are eternal. There's no end to it. It's just more love. I read a bumper sticker today, uh, yesterday. Me and George were in Albany a little bit. And here we pulled up behind his van, and they had, you know, um, something about the family and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, everything's about love. And I said, yeah, check it out. It's about coexist. I said, you know, they got everything. They got what there's the message that they're putting out there. It's right. But I said, we got a problem. I got a big problem. It's something's wrong with this message. I, and I told George, I said, there's no God is not in it. There, you know, we just do this thing. And we just love people, and, and which we're supposed to do. But, you know, God was not in the equation. Because who made love? God made love. God, God, the Bible says that God is love. We must set our values. We must set our value system on things of eternal value. How many times do I set my eternal value? My, my eternal value. How many times do I set my values on things that are not eternal, that really don't matter at the end of the day? When the chips are all down, is it really going to matter? It's like one man said, he was in the export business, he says, is it really going to matter at the end of the day if I get one more bale of hay over in Korea or Japan or wherever, Ching Chang Chu, wherever it's going? Is it really going to matter? It's the souls of men that matter. You know? And I thought, you know, now here's a man that in a large degree, he's got his eternal value, he's got his perspective, at least in a proper place, at least to some degree, which I think he does anyway. Um, do we realize our souls are forever? Do we, can we really grasp the fact, what does forever mean? Forever. And try to wrap your mind around what forever means. Where will I spend eternity? Will it matter to me at the end of the day how this all turns out? Where will I spend eternity? You know, we need to begin to live for eternity now, we may need to make a conscious decision to live for eternity. The things that I do, how will it affect your eternity? We not only need to think about it, we need to act upon it. Am I acting upon the things that are, and, um, that are going to live for eternity? I must hear and listen and obey the commands of the Master. Who is your Master? It is Christ. Jesus Christ is our Master. And you know what? Not least of all, 
but we must seek to do His will. Seek to do His will and recognize Him when He speaks to you. You know, and you know, we get some of those things in place that I just spoke about is going to be the cure to my complacency to the things of God. You know, I tell you, it bothers me. I'm just going to be honest with you. It bothers me when I walk in these churches. And you know, by the way, I have always been this type of person that I, I like to go to visit different churches. And I, you know what? It does not take very long at all until you can tell the temperature of the people. Sometimes they can fool you, but there are times where I can go to it and sit in a church and I can quickly tell you the temperature of this church. Not all, but as a whole. You know, is it alive? Do people enjoy talking about God? Or, you know what, I'd rather talk about the seed price. Or I'd rather talk about the cattle price. I'd rather talk about all these other things, you know. But, oh, that we would understand the love and the mercy that God has toward mankind. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. And, Lord, I just pray that you would come and meet here. And, Lord, just point out the places of complacency in our lives here. You know, it's easy to sit in a group like this. And in our mind's eye, we are thinking about other people. But, Lord, I just pray that we just think about ourselves. And where we are in this whole lineup. And Father, I just pray that you would just bring to our mind where we have been complacent. Give us a burden, Lord. And we don't know how to get a burden. We're just going to ask you for a burden, Lord, for the last around us. Maybe it's our own family. And Lord, I'm just thinking about right now about my brother-in-laws. They are lost and doomed for eternity away from you. And I just pray, Father, that you would just give me a burden for them. Watch over us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.